episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's guest is Joe Vallon. Joe's based in the United States, working for a company called Millennium Rental and Leasing, and he caught my attention because I've never actually spoken to anyone that operates in the fiber optic equipment sector, which is a very niche market, and they work with telecommunications companies or companies that want to lay pipe with cabling. So I thought it'd be pretty interesting just to learn about some of the equipment, all sorts of stuff that I've never heard of before, like cable lashes and splices and blowers and pullers and yeah, so it'd be great to learn about what is Millennium Rental and Leasing and what has been Joe's journey in the industry so far. So Joe, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you first became involved in the equipment rental industry? Yeah, so uh, it's kind of a funny story. Way back 2008 or nine, uh, I was at a bachelor party of all places to get in the industry. My uh, soon-to-be brother-in-law's best friend was starting up a construction company and uh, was talking about a lot of money for me to go and dig ditches. So I, I went and did that and got a very holistic view of what construction looked like from digging ditches to working in a warehouse um, and eventually moving into the office doing project management and estimating projects. Uh, so that is really my entry into the industry. And I probably didn't appreciate all the things I learned at that time. Yeah. I would, it would have been a bit of a wake up call. What were you doing before digging ditches? I was going to college. <laughs> I was getting a uh, you know, business degree and going to change the world. Uh, and one of my, prof- I ended up graduating, but uh, one of my professors said, Hey, if you have a great opportunity being presented to you, and no digging holes doesn't sound like a great opportunity at the time, but uh, uh, the professor said, hey, we will always take your money. You can always come back to university. <laughs> we will take your money. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I took that leap to uh, really kind of have a apprenticeship of sorts to become a project manager in uh, outside plant construction world. Yeah, okay. And then how did that eventually turn into the equipment rental industry as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot of steps between uh, there and now. Uh, long story short, really, is um, I got into the telecom industry about eight-ish years ago and spent six years at Millennium selling materials that are used to build out fiber networks for um, telecom companies. And uh, then I had a two-year hiatus from Millennium, jumped around to a number of different telecom companies, trying to experience and learn as much as I can. And after that two-year uh, hiatus, came back to run the Millennium Rentals and Leasing Division. Yeah, so it'd be great for you to talk a little bit about what Millennium Rental and Leasing is actually all about, because I think it's in a very niche market. <laughs> Indeed, it is. And, uh, you know, part of what I love about it, we started uh, way back in 2004 in buying and selling widgets in the telecom industry. And um, our founder, James Kyle, he was always very in tune with what, what is our customer experience and that's an issue for them. Let's try to solve problems instead of sell widgets. And one of the problems that routinely came up was somebody would buy a capital piece of equipment 
and they would need that piece of equipment faster or they would need to get it repaired. So eventually, organically, Millennium Rentals and Leasing was born. He saw that there's an issue of, hey, let's have splicers available to hand out to our contractors that are in need while they're waiting for their new unit to come or their unit to be repaired. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think to, to give the audience a bit of a background on how unique your equipment is, because I was doing some research around some of them on YouTube, maybe you want to talk about what is a splicer or a fiber blower or a lasher, because some of these words to people are going to be very out of there and have no idea what we're talking about. Because uh, it is very uh, unique to the telco industry. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that, Mark. Definitely, it is unique, and maybe that's why I chose this industry so that ninety-nine percent of the world thinks I sound like a genius. <laughs> the other one percent <laughs> who know what these uh, pieces of equipment are, they might question. So the niche market that we're focused on is the telecom industry and the equipment that we are renting and leasing out are tools that are used to install fiber optic networks. Are you spending your Fridays doing manual data entry? What could you replace that time with? Closing more deals? Spending time with family? What if you found a platform that could give you back your time and you got to choose what you wanted to do with it? Arrow is the sales and growth platform built for you. A simple and powerful way to close big deals. Unlock your growth today and visit www.try.rentalarrow.com. Again, that's www.try.rentalarrow.com. Now back to the podcast episode. Whether it's helping install the cable and those tools are fiber polars, fiber lashers, fiber blowers. These are tools that dramatically decrease the time used to install a fiber optic network. If I were to have to pull in a mile of cable by hand, I would need five people and probably a whole day. Whereas with one of these tools, I need two to three people and I might be able to get in five miles. So less labor, a lot more production. Um, the other half of our rental fleet is equipment that is used to uh, fusion splice or weld together fiber optic cable, and then equipment to test to make sure that there's uh, integrity from point A to point B on that uh, fiber network. And I'm assuming along, because the equipment is so unique, and there's probably a lot of safety measures that are required about some of these installations as well, is, is training a big focus for the company in the installation? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, so the funny thing is there's probably not a lot of safety training involved. I think that uh, really is a reflection of the telecom industry. We're kind of cowboys, I think, when it comes to the outside plant construction, when you compare ourselves to electric utility industry. But uh, there, there is a good amount of training that we do. Our industry, it is fairly conservative and resistant to change. So even though a fiber blower might save a organization $100,000 a year in installing cable, they might have technicians that are baby boomers nearing retirement where they don't want to learn or invest in a new technology. So uh, that, that's where we end up stepping in and we come and we offer field training hands-on, which is something different than a lot of competition that might be out there. For ISPs, these telecom internet service providers that we work with. They, they serve rural America. 
and they're building out internet to farmers and whatnot. And they don't have a lot of resources to educate their crews. So there's a huge gap of knowledge between the vendors that are making the widgets and our client. And the clients, our clients, the ISPs are looking at contractors, suppliers, trade show associations, their neighboring um, competitor for education. And that's where we really try to bridge a gap um, from an application sense, uh, connecting a product to a solution. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so I think let's dive in a little bit deeper on the fiber blower because it, it blew my mind when I first watched the video on YouTube on how this, this machine works. So do you want to describe the scenario that someone might be in without a fiber blower and what the process is to get the, the cabling from point A to point B and then maybe explain like how a fiber blower works, the mechanics behind it and then how that fits into the, the solution? Yeah, absolutely. So a um, ISP, they might, uh, internet service provider, they might be in a town that is five miles west of uh, town B. And town B does not have internet or they have very bad internet. Town A has great internet. So they want to bring great internet to town B and they're five miles apart. So historically, you would have to pull in that fiber cable. And you would do that by hand and you would have five to six people out there for 10, 12 hours. And depending on the layout, you might be getting in a mile, maybe two miles of cable a day. And it's very strenuous, hard work. Nobody likes it. Their hands hurt, their back hurt, et cetera. It's messy. So the, there's been other tools in place. Um, outside of pulling it by hand, there's fiber polers, um, which is still pretty laborious. You get a little bit more production, but then fiber blowers came out. And uh, what fiber blowers do is there are belts that push this fiber optic cable with hydraulic power. So there is no manual labor of pulling on that cable. This machine is now pushing it and this machine can push it a thousand, two thousand feet, depending on what everything looks like. And then we add air to the conduit and the cable floats inside of it. And now we can blow up to uh, five uh, miles in one shot. Wow. It, it, what's the max? I was trying to figure out what the max distance is and how do you calibrate to say, I want to go three miles or five miles or whatever it might be. Yeah. And this is where our training really helps out. The machines are fairly easy to operate. I would say that it's, it's not too difficult to learn how to operate one, but knowing the configurations to be able to maximize what you're doing is the difficult part. So if you're using a larger conduit, you need a larger air compressor with more uh, CFMs. If you are blowing in a larger or a smaller cable, you might need a parachute. Um, sometimes these cables are being installed on top of other ones. And that's where it really becomes a art and that field training, that field experience is uh, very powerful. Mm. And then you mentioned the air compressor. So is that also a service that you provide to your customers or typically they bring their own air compressors? Yeah, typically they're bringing their own air compressors. Uh, but, uh, you know, our, our rental fleet's been very organically grown up to this point, and I'm tasked with 
growing this and finding out what else, what other problems are our customers experiencing that we might be able to solve with um, our rental and leasing platform. So, um, you know, those are items that we're looking at to see if it makes sense for our customers if we have those air compressors to go along with the fiber pullers and some of the consumables they purchase through us as well. Hmm, interesting. And so still being fairly young to the industry and and keen and eager and you're in a, a niche market as well, like what yeah. advice would you give to somebody else that's walking out of out of school or wherever they're coming from? Like what advice would you give to someone that's coming into an industry like the equipment rental industry? Yeah, so I, I really uh, like that question. I would say one of my biggest hurdles in trying to trying to build this rental and leasing division from you know, scratch or the ground up is that there, there's, it's hard to find a community where there's a lot of rental industry knowledge. So with that, find a mentor. Yeah, don't go this journey alone. Definitely find a mentor. I'm learning that it's a very complex business. I've been in this rental, director of rental and leasing uh, role now for five, six months. And you know, I thought I was looking at a glacier for the last five or six months, but it turns out I was looking at a pile of snow. <laughs> and I think I'm finally like driving up to the glacier. I'm starting to learn more and more and that the rental industry is a complex business. So find a mentor that will share some of um, their experiences. And honestly, uh, Mark, you might think I'm sucking up here, but uh, keep listening to this podcast. Uh, I've definitely learned quite a bit. James McPherson, um, he talked very in depth on rental price. And I've had to listen to that one three times. And I still don't think I've soaked up everything James had to say. So there's been a lot of great information that I've gotten even from this podcast. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's very nice for you to say. Have you have you done much involvement or have you done have you heard of the American Rental Association? Yeah, yeah. So we um we are not members at this point, and it, you know it's something certainly to consider. Did attend a trade show in Las Vegas. Being in such a niche industry, I've, I wasn't really able to connect with anybody. And the biggest problem I was looking to solve when I went to that show was ERPs. So we operate on a ERP that is traditionally not used within the rental industry and trying to find a plat rental platform for managing our fleet was really my goal. Uh, but there's not a ton of options um, with our existing ERP. So I was mm. hoping to find that needle in a haystack when I was in uh, Vegas for that last show. Yeah, well, maybe after the, I've got a few connections that I can put you in contact with in terms of ERPs in the rental space. Because yeah, it is very, if you try and run a traditional ERP solution into an equipment rental business, uh, it, it can be quite challenging. It's not just selling and buying. There's obviously the long-term rentals and the reoccurring billing and all that sort of stuff that needs to come along with it. Yeah, it, it, there's a lot of creativity to make it operate right now. And uh, that creativity usually uh, results in things being forgot or overlooked. Mm. <laughs> but we can accomplish everything, but it just creates a lot of errors. Yeah, maybe it'll be interesting to touch on that topic for a little bit. So, <clears throat> so not having a proper software in place that's built around your uh, rental operations, like what are some of the challenges that you typically run into? Yeah. So um, some of the challenges that we have are 
um, orders maybe going out with approval, but our system is very rigid where we are actually having orders coming in that are approved. And our guys in the warehouse know that the order is technically approved, but not approved in the ERP. So stuff gets shipped out and a customer will have it for three months. And then we might find out that, oh, hey, our ERP hasn't been billing this. So I've been chasing a lot of lost revenue in circumstances like that. Simple things such as onboarding some of our assets or offloading assets. It's very uh, difficult process with very little transparency. Mm. Yeah, but your customers love it, yeah? (laughs) We try to hide (laughs) any of that from our customers. Uh, We really, uh, our our website is pretty operational with live inventory and pricing. And whenever orders get pushed through there, it's a good experience. Yeah. I was just more referring to if a customer is renting something and they get billed, they're pretty happy that they don't receive a bill for three months. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they, they do enjoy that. Uh, but when we catch that though, it's like, oh shoot, here's a $9,000 bill or whatnot. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's funny. So, so you mentioned mentors. Who, who do you think played a big influence in, in your career to, so far? Oh man, I could probably talk half hour on this one. I, I've really tried to have a lot of uh, mentors in my life and I've got them in like, I, I probably have them in different buckets um, of my life as well. And I almost, I almost think of them as like my board of directors almost for life. Um, yeah. So I mean, my, my dad, he's always been a pretty big uh, mentor in my life. He's a very mechanical minded person, which I think has allowed me to thrive in this uh, equipment world, having a general understanding of mechanics, electrical systems, hydraulics, et cetera. Um, so that one's been always consistent, always there. He still is a resource for me when I have mechanical questions, he can still um, figure things out from afar for me. Yeah. So I've got a couple mentors that are very specific to the telecom industry. And I really try to lean towards some of those baby boomers that just have 20, 30, 40 years of experience in telecom. And what I just absolutely love about these guys is the fiber to the home industry. Fiber really started becoming a little bit more common in the eighties these guys grew up with a lot of, you know, connectors being invented. They were um, on the forefront of that. So being able to have essentially this working historians as mentors is really cool to me. And then lastly, like uh, I've got one guy that's he's in the business world, but he's completely out of the industry. And he uh, he's always great to bounce ideas off. Um, to his, he's my sounding board for is this crazy? So, uh, yeah, there's probably a good five mentors there in my life that I talk to on a weekly basis. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's really important. Like, I've, I've definitely got people I bounce ideas off and, and work through. And but one thing that I always try and tell people is that you don't have to do this, don't have to do your career or whatever you're working on on your own. Like, if you try and do it on your own, it's going to be a bit of a lonely place. You'll probably end up not yeah. liking what you're doing. Like, you, you may as well share what you're doing get advice and then try to implement things and challenge yourself. And, and you can do that by bouncing ideas of people and, and growing. That's awesome. 
are your mentors people that are producing content or uh, mentors that are in the rental industry? So a couple of them are in the equipment rental industry. And then one is specifically in more of the marketing space. So he has his own company and he sort of just gives me advice on bigger picture stuff as well. Uh, so I've got both both worlds. I've got people that can really help me in the equipment space. I've got a lot of connections at the, the ARA, the HR, the Australian equivalent, which is the HRIA. Uh, and then a, a lot of my um, guests that have come on, I've been associated with over time. And so many of them have been mentors to me as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. So if you could give some advice to your younger self, what would you say? Um, yeah, something I've always probably struggled with is being too introspective, wanting to maybe uh, make perfect decisions and not uh, be a failure. Um, so I've been very hard on myself when it comes to decision making. And, you know, hindsight is always 2020, you know, maybe after a decision happens or shortly after you can go through the should have and could have pretty easily. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, I would tell my younger self to turn the introspection into something positive, create it into action. It's great to learn and look back on something, but let's not dwell. Let's turn it into action. And even if something does turn into failure, it's going to be a great opportunity to learn. Mm, yeah, no, it's definitely great advice. And and I like asking this question. We've added, added this in recently and people have, have liked the responses. So if you could have dinner with any three people that are alive, who would you choose and why? Oh, man, that are alive? Dead or alive. Dead or alive. Benjamin Franklin is probably number one. It's just such a fascinating um, American, very curious intellectual mind, but very untrained. He didn't have all the education of going to Harvard and whatnot. So, you know, I feel like he's very symbolic of our American culture of just a little bit of a uh, rough neck as well. So Benjamin Franklin would hands down be number one. It'd be a fun dinner and learn a lot. Man, number two and three, you know what? Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> He's taking all three seats. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. And how do you define success? So I'm going to break it up between uh, personal success and kind of business success. You know, personal success is I hope that I never settle for the status quo um, I hope that I remain curious and am always pushing a boundary of comfort, really. Always kind of teetering on the edge of being in over my head and, hey, I can do this the next day. You know, uh, for uh, our rental and leasing business, for that to be success, I really think that having a relationship so deep with our client that after maybe we help them out in a uh, tough jam that they come back to us asking for help on a solution where maybe we don't even provide that, but they want to work through one of their problems with us because we were so responsive to them. Um, you know, we help them solve their problems and they trust us. And then the personal side. Yeah. The, the personal one is definitely pushing that boundary of comfort. Boundary. Never, yeah. Yeah. Never settling for status quo. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's good that you divvy it up into two. I think 
a lot of people, they set personal uh, goals around success and things like that, but then they don't focus on their career at all. And then some people are overly focused on their career and then completely forget about family and friends and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's good to have a bit of a balance in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been uh, a little bit jealous of people that, you know, maybe have a holistic view on everything though. Uh, I've always kind of kept everything in buckets as far as, you know, even alluded to this earlier with my mentors. Uh, you know, I wish, uh, I could have that same outlook and be able to apply that to every single part of my life as well. But yeah, I, I like to divide and put everything into buckets and look at them differently. Awesome. Well, Joe, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. This podcast episode was proudly supported by our premier partner, Ken Arts Hire.